Bible reading um, this evening comes from Matthew chapter 11 and it's verses 20 to 30. Um, If you'd like to follow along in your pew Bibles, that can be found on page 1019 in some of the pew Bibles. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And for you, Capernaum, you will be lifted up to the skies. Uh, Will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, friends, I'd love you just to say a quick uh, hello to one another. Let's do that. Hi, my name is... Your name is? Translator. Uh, my name's Pete, by the way. Uh, nice to see you. It'd be great if you have an outline I think will be helpful today. If you were reading off the screen, I encourage you to pick up a Bible and open up to our uh, passage today. So Matthew uh, chapter 11, beginning at verse 20 on page 1000. And 19, I'll pray again and we'll begin. Uh, Heavenly Father, again, we do thank you for your wonderful word to us. We pray that's what we hear tonight, uh, your word to us. Please, by your spirit, would you drive it deep into our hearts that we might see Jesus clearly and live for him more closely. We pray it uh, for his honour and glory. Amen. Uh, Well, friends, there's uh, some information that comes to us in life uh, that really requires no action at all. Uh, For example, if I was to tell you that Windhoek is the capital city of Namibia, I don't want to say there's really not a lot you've got to do with that. You might file it away in the back of your mind for the next uh, school trivia night, but, but that's about it, isn't it? No action required. No urgent response. If, on the other hand, instead of uh, the capital city of an African country, I brought you the news that there was, in fact, tonight a bomb under this building and that it's set to go off in just five minutes. I want to say it's a completely different story altogether, right? That's an action required, urgent response kind of information. Similarly, there's this kind of information that comes to us in life that's really not all that personal. I consider the nightly news on the telly. That could be told by anyone. I don't know if you realise, it's being told to everyone. Sorry if you thought you were special. It's not particularly exclusive. Not from them or for you. But then, of course, there's another kind. A kind of information that comes with flowers. 
A kind of information that's, well, maybe with a little tear and a heart in the mouth and a, and a ring in the hand. And information that's not just for anyone. And it's not just from anyone. It's just for you. And it's just from them. And, and it's intently personal. And it's incredibly exclusive. And again, there's, there's another kind of information that comes to us in life that I want to say is really not very exciting. Uh, for example, it's the kind of information you, you go to your letterbox and you open your lid and you see an envelope. And what do you find? Well, you open it up and it says at the top, summons to jury duty. <laughs> and of course, you know it's right. And it's good to serve. And what's more, you legally have to go anyway. But, but <laughs> if you're anything like me, you, well, you say to yourself, oh man... Do I have to? In my case, again. <laughs> On the other hand, instead of a, if instead of a, a call to jury duty, again, this time you go to your letterbox, again you open the lid and again you find an envelope, but this time you see across the front, you have already won. And no, it's not one of those ones that says you may have already won, which always means, by the way, you haven't. I'm sorry if you didn't know this. They just want you to open the envelope. Now, imagine this one's legit. And that somehow someone has entered you in something and you have won the jackpot. I want to say again, that's a completely different story altogether, isn't it? That's that's, that's you, little ripper. Thank you, God, kind of information. The question I want to ask you tonight. As you consider the message of Christianity, as you understand the call of Jesus into the world, which of those best describes it for you. Is it capital of Namibia or bomb under the building? Is it seven nightly news or down on one knee? Is it, oh man, do I have to? Oh, you little ripper. See, how do you hear Jesus call to you? And what's more, have you heard him right? So I say that will make a massive difference, won't it? To, to, to whether you come to him, to how you stay with him, to how much you care if others do, to the joy you have in being his. It matters how we hear Jesus' call. And tonight it's that call Jesus clarifies. Now, last week we saw the opposition to Jesus was beginning to grow from the, from the gentle doubts of John the Baptist to the, to the out-of-step living of a whole generation. And in the following chapter, the one after this, it's going to get even worse. It's resistance on the right, rejection on the left, and then here right in the middle, as reasons to walk away from Jesus pile up and up and up and up, as so often I think they do in our lives, Jesus clarifies his call. He reminds us of how desperately important and incredibly exclusive and wonderfully good his invitation to us is. First of all, desperately important. See, if you don't respond to me, Jesus says, your fate will be worse than the worst. Have a look there, verse 20, in front of you, verse 20. Jesus began to denounce or almost insult the towns in which most of these miracles have been performed. Why? Because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazan. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles are performed in you, 
that had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. Tyre and Sidon, we need to understand, were kind of the, the ISIS of the Old Testament. They were the worst of the worst. They were famous as cities deserving judgment. Cities who had set themselves against God and so God had set himself against. As Amos will write in Amos chapter 1, if you're the world's fastest flicker, page 956, Amos chapter 1 verse 9, the Lord says, I will not relent from punishing Tyre for three crimes, even for four, because they handed over a whole community of exiles to Edom and broke a treaty of brotherhood. Therefore, I will set fire against the walls of Tyre and it will consume its citadels. See, if there's anyone you didn't want to be likened to in the Old Testament, it were the cities of Tyre and Sidon. If there's anyone you didn't want to be punished like in the Old Testament, it was the cities of Tyre and Sidon. In the Hebrew Dictionary, under the definition of going to get it from God, was a big dirty picture of Tyre and Sidon and yet, Jesus says, verse 24, do you see? It will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. When I come again in judgment, Jesus says, you will be punished even worse than they. Why? It was back in verse 23, did you see it? Because if they had seen what you have seen, if they had had what you had had, if they had had me like you have had me, then they would have done what you failed to do. They would have done the only thing you must do and can do to secure your eternal future. They would have turned to me, Jesus says. You know, in that old movie, The Gladiator, it is old now, uh, Russell Crowe once taught us that what we do in this life echoes into eternity. And here Jesus agrees. Except with one slight edit, do you notice? Jesus says, what we do in this life with him echoes into eternity. I am the key, Jesus says, to your eternal future. If you don't respond to me, Jesus says, your fate will be worse than the worst. See, there's a standard principle in the Bible that goes something like this. All will be judged by what they do with what they know about Jesus. All will be judged by how they respond to what they are given of Jesus. Not every person has the same opportunity. The Bible never says that. But it does say that every single person will be judged by what they do with whatever opportunity they had to respond to Jesus. We see it again, verse 23. Look, verse 23. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. 
For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, Sodom that we heard from our first reading was a kind of benchmark for evil. If I had done in Sodom what I did in you, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you, it'll be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Do you really think, Capernaum, that you are on your way up to heaven? You are not. You are on your way down. And why? Because of only this. Because you too failed to respond to me. That's how important my call is, Jesus says. It is not Windhoek, capital of Namibia. It is bomb under the building, five minutes to go, get out now. If you don't respond to me, Jesus says, your fate will be worse than the worst. And of course, what was true for them then is true for us now, isn't it? If we won't respond to Jesus, if our friends won't respond to Jesus, if this city won't respond to Jesus. See, I don't know about you, but I often feel the pressure to not be so serious about the whole Jesus thing. Don't you? I mean, for crying out loud, Pete, or lighten up a bit. The voice in my head says, no one's actually ever said that, but it's the kind of... (laughs) I make such a big deal of it. Don't treat it so important. But of course it is so important, isn't it? If Jesus is right with what he says here, then my life should revolve around his call. Both my response to it and helping others respond to it. See, it's desperately important, Jesus says. And it's incredibly exclusive. See, so you will only respond to me, Jesus says, if the Father reveals me to you. In other words, you will only get me if the Father lets you. Now, we resist that, of course. After all, we know better. hundred other religions thousand TV sitcoms they've already taught us, haven't they? That it's we who go to God. We who kind of work him out. After all, it's like any other subject of study, right? It's like maths, chemistry, history. If you want to know it, you've just got to put your mind to it and so to with God, so to his plans. But see, Jesus says, no. God is not like any other subject of study. His plans are not simply workoutable. I mean, for starters, God is personal. It's not a code to crack or a riddle to solve. God is a person, and like any other person, you just can't kind of guess your way to him. He has to reveal himself to you. And what's more, God's holy. I mean, he's separate and he's different. He stands above and outside his creation. We can see what he does, sure. We know something about him, yes. But we can never, ever truly know him unless he reveals himself to us. And that's not even to mention the problem of our sin. That, that problem that has twisted and bent our thinking. Twisted and bent even our desire to know him. Now, if we're to ever truly know God, respond to him, then it will, it must 
depend on him. And that's what Jesus says, verse 25, did you see it? At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to the little children. You have hidden yourself and your plans from the, from the self-centred, self-assured. Think they can come to you on their own terms. And you have revealed yourself and your plans to the, to the little ones. Those little in the eyes of the word. Those who just take you at your word and listen to what you say. Verse 26, yes, Father, for this is what you are pleased to do. See, Jesus says, if you don't respond to me, your fate will be worse than the worst. And you will only respond to me if the Father reveals me to you. And if that wasn't exclusive enough, if that's not offensive enough in the eyes of our world, Jesus goes on and says, what's more, you will only know the Father if I reveal him to you. There's this great little story told about a classroom where the kids were told they can have as long as they want, they can paint something, go for your life and that's what the kids did. Kids started painting brushes and painting. The teacher paced the room and she passed elephants and alligators and she passed castles and dragons and then she passed one drawing and she stopped. Kind of shapeless, but colourful. And she says, that's very nice, Susie. But exactly is it? Oh, says Susie, still sort of working away, that's God. <laughs> oh, sweetheart, the teacher replied, nobody's ever seen God. No, without missing a beat, without lifting her eyes from the page, still stroking away, her tongue still flicking out of her mouth, she just turned back and said, well, they will have soon. I don't want to say with a kid in the class, I think it's kind of cute. But imagine that instead that it wasn't a kid and it wasn't a class and it wasn't a joke. Imagine an adult with complete sincerity comes to you and claims to alone know God and alone make him known. A good friend of mine spent some time as a patient in a very serious psych ward. He said he met lots of people like this. And of course, that's where we put people like this. I mean, who says this? I do, Jesus says. The only way for you to know God is if I introduce him to you. There is no other way. There is no other religion. There is nothing you can do to know God without me. Verse 27, all things have been committed to me by the Father. I take it they're the same things as verse 25, the things only God knows, himself, his plans. Verse 27, all things have been committed to me by the Father. No one knows the Son except the Father and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. They say that when Mahatma Gandhi was dying, one of his relatives came to him and asked, Babaki, you've been looking for God all your life. Have you found him yet? What was his reply? No, I'm still looking. Well, look no longer, Jesus says, and look nowhere else. I am the way, the truth and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. No matter how good, no matter how nice, no matter how sincere, you will only know the Father if I reveal him to you, Jesus says. Therefore, can I say, if you do know him, then the only reason you do is because Jesus revealed him to you. Jesus chose you to know him. Which, of course, should fill us with a deep and humble thankfulness and should send us to pray and pray and pray that others might get to know him only through Jesus. See, the call of Jesus is desperately important. It's incredibly exclusive. It's also wonderfully good. It's wonderfully good. Jesus says, come to me. Unite to me. Learn from me. Rest in me. See, I wonder how many of us deep down, I mean deep down, really do think of the call of Jesus as something like duriduty. And again, yes, of course, we know it's right. And it's good to serve. And you want to avoid that whole more bearable than Sodom sort of thing. That's fair enough. But deep down, doesn't it feel sometimes like it's more hassle than help? More cost than benefit? I want to say Jesus reminds us here that actually it's not. That's not what he's called us to. Have a look verse 28. Come to me. Notice again how exclusive this is. Come to me, all who you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There's this beautiful old story um, from before America's slaves were freed about a northerner who went to a slave auction and bought this young slave girl. And as they walk away from the auction together, he turns to the girl and says, you're free. And to her amazement, she responds, you mean I'm free to do whatever I want? He says, yeah, yeah, you're free. Free to say whatever I want. Yes, you're free. Free to be Whoever I want, yes, you're free. Free to go wherever I yes, you're free. She looked at him intently. And she said, And I'll go with you. Because with you I am free. And honestly, that's what the call of Jesus is like. It's uniting ourselves to him, giving ourselves to him, yoking ourselves to him to be his grateful servant for the rest of our lives. And why? Because with him we're free. With him we have rest. We don't have to strive anymore for the significance and the success and the security. We have it in him. We don't have to pretend anymore 
or try anymore to be someone different than we are or better than we are or make our way to him, it's done. And no matter how happy our world appears living without this Jesus, they are missing out without him. Do you believe it? J.C. Ryle, a Christian living 100 years, 150 years before us, wrote, the plain truth is that without Christ there is no happiness in the world. He alone can give the comforter who abides forever. He's the sun. Without him, men can never get warm. He's the light. Without him, men are always in the dark. He's the bread. Without him, men are always starving. He's the living water. Without him, men are always thirsty. Give them what you like. Place them where you please. Surround them with all the comforts you can imagine. It makes no difference. Separate from Christ, the Prince of Peace. A man or woman cannot be truly happy. I want to say yes. Sometimes the evidence does seem to point in the other direction, doesn't it? Sometimes it looks like the world's pretty unhappy and the Christians are pretty sad. Our world seems pretty rested and the Christians seem burdened. Because you know, I don't know about you, but it's been my experience that only lasts until you truly know someone. When at last you see behind the mask or perhaps behind the assumptions you have made, when you hear their inner turmoils and insecurities and doubts, I want to say that's when you realise he is right, this is true. And yes, I suppose we can, we can rob ourselves of this by putting burdens on our shoulders that he doesn't give. Or trying to live one foot in Jesus' camp and another in the other, that usually gets pretty uncomfortable pretty quick. But when we do live for him, when he does grant us that, even when it hurts, even when it's hard, you see he's right. This is good. The call of the king is wonderfully, wonderfully good. Friends, the call of King Jesus is desperately important. It is incredibly exclusive and it's wonderfully good. Can I say tonight, if you've not yet come to him saying sorry for your sin and thank you for his mercy and please for his help, we want to encourage you to do it or at least make some kind of step toward that tonight. Talk to someone you trust. Talk to John, someone else. And for the many of us who have, let's keep reminding ourselves of this. Let's not dilute or distort the call of King Jesus. Let's keep remembering what he saves us from and what he saves us for and that it's he alone who saves. And let's do our best to be glad about it. Let's pray.